Uh, that's actually what's going on here. So um, I just wanted to introduce myself first. I'm Pastor Tyler. I'm filling in for my, my dad, Pastor Kurt. Um, while I was worshiping, uh, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to do this. And it's kind of scary being somebody who's like, just come to a church and you're not really the pastor here and you're, you're going to ask people to do something that they're not used to. But Roger in Sunday school class brought up a really good point. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But you mentioned um, sometimes Baptists are a little passive with worship. And while I was worshiping with you guys, I was just like marveling. The worship group here is phenomenal. Amen. And while I was worshiping, great are you, Lord, um, on the bridge, I just, I felt the spirits just leading me in my heart, telling me, Tyler, I want to do a great work today. I need the blessings to come down. But before that, the praise must go up. And so if you wouldn't mind, would you just lead uh, the bridge of great are you, Lord? Is that okay? Um, yeah, let's, can we just worship with that again? Um, I really believe that the Lord wants to do a great work today. He needs us to be faithful. He's been faithful to us, and he's just asking for us to pour out genuine praise in this moment, okay? Yeah? So I'll, I'll give you that time to lead. Yeah. Keep it going. Keep, keep it going. Okay. On the count of five, if the Lord's been good to you and you want to give him a sincere praise, you want to lift it up because he's been that faithful to you. On the count of five, lift up a praise that's worthy of what God's done in your life. If he's brought you out of something, make it known today. We're going to praise God for ten solid seconds. It's going to be genuine. If he's brought you out of something on the count of five, lift up a praise that's worthy of what he's brought you out of. One, two, three, four, five. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. You've died on the cross for us. We love you, Lord. You're so good to us. 
We praise you, Lord. We worship you because of your faithfulness to us. We lift you up, Lord. We love you. You're so good to us. We bless your name, Father. Yeah. Thank you. Good. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to just come and just change everybody's rituals there. Uh, children are dismissed. <laughs> I just, I really, I, you know, that's the thing. When you're preparing... God's the one leading the service, not me, and I just have to be faithful to what he tells me to do at moment by moment. I never want this to be something that I, I'm just in charge of. I, I'm, just, I'm just following him, and so you're not, you're not following anybody, any human's plans. Uh, it was really important, that word he spoke, I think. You know, I want to do a work, Tyler, the blessings will come down when the praise goes up. So thank you all for stepping outside of your comfort zone. That's probably not something you guys expected or are familiar with. Um, I just thank you all. I love you. I genuinely do. Yeah. Uh, Chase, is my microphone on? You guys can hear me good? Okay. Okay. Wow. I'm nervous now. That, was, that wasn't what I expected to do at all. My hands are shaking now. I was fine until that. Ooh. Well, yeah, like I said, my name's Pastor Tyler Beadle. Um, I feel like we all know each other a little bit. I've, I've been here, uh, this is my second time now filling in for my dad, and I'm just really pleased to be able to bring God's Word to you today. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Uh, God called me to do this kind of thing, and I don't take the responsibility lightly. So thank you all for being here. Um, if you would, go ahead. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30 is what we're going to be reading today. But before we get into that verse, I just want to give you a little bit of context here. The beginning of Matthew 13, the whole chapter is just this. It's a chapter with tons of parables. At the very beginning of the chapter, Jesus, he sits down in a boat. Actually, he's standing in the boat. That's how they did it. And then everybody that he's talking to, that he's preaching to, a, gra a group of followers, they're sitting on a seashore, and they're just sitting, listening to the teacher. Okay? So a little bit of context. He's standing in a boat. He's talking to a, a group of Jews, probably. And this group of Jews, they know him, at this point, only as this 
prophet, maybe, a rock star. He's somebody who's been like teaching with great authority, boldness. He's been performing miracles so far. But they don't know Jesus to be the person that we know him right now. It's remember, or it's important to remember, the context here, Jesus is preaching to a group of people who don't know that he's going to the cross. Now, we know that Jesus went to the cross today, right? So we know that Jesus is the Messiah. They did not understand this yet. They're still feeling out what, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? All throughout the book of Matthew, if you look, what's being talked about the most is the kingdom of heaven. That was what Jesus began to preach. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. So what he's talking about in a bunch of these parables in chapter 13, before he ever goes to the cross and before they have that knowledge that he's going to the cross, he starts to speak to them about the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of these parables in chapter 13, as he's standing in the boat, teaching to them sitting on the seashore, he's discussing the kingdom of heaven and he's using parables to do so. Look at verse 24. Matthew 13, 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Let's just pray. Lord, we're here today because of you. We just ask that your spirit would come and fall fresh here this morning. I pray that when your Holy Spirit comes, that we would receive the, the ability to, to understand truth, that we would receive it well, and that we would apply it to our lives, Lord. We serve you, Lord. That's why we're here. We love you, and we thank you for being here this morning, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's break down what we just read. So Jesus teaches using parables. Many of us have probably been in the institution of church for a long time. If you have not, or if you're younger in your faith, I just want to very quickly explain to you the idea of a parable. Uh, this might just be like really basic to some people, but I believe that God wants to bring so many people into the fold, and he doesn't care how long you've been in church. He doesn't care about how much you know. What God wants to do is just bring you into this covenantal relationship with all of his children, and it doesn't matter how much knowledge you've acquired over the years. He wants you. He desires you. Amen? So a parable. It's pretty simple. It is not a true story. We know this, right? A parable is is actually, it's it's... It's an illustration that's just meant to convey something that is true. But the parable itself is not a true story. The characters in a, in a, in a parable aren't ever real people. 
They're just meant to represent real people. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You guys like that? Yeah. This way, this was Jesus' way of relating to a group of people who are just regular Joes. See, this, this is the thing. When Jesus teaches using parables, what he's doing is trying to relate to a group of people who weren't religiously like educated. You know, there's Sadducees, there's Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, there's religious elites. It'd be like like people today who've been to seminary or some kind of Bible college who have like a PhD or a master's in, in religious studies. Like those were the religious elite of the day. Jesus was not teaching to them. In fact, they despised parables. They didn't get it. They never understood the things. Like they, they needed you to just spell it out for them. But parables were Jesus' way of teaching to a group of people who were just regular. They were average Joes. Parables were like easy to remember. They contained themes like, like, like baking bread or traveling, farming, like things that just the, the common man could relate to. That's what Jesus is doing. By using a parable, he's relating to his audience sitting there on the seashore. And somebody needs to know today that Jesus wants to relate to you. He wants to relate. It doesn't matter what your interests or your hobbies or your age is. Whoever you are, Jesus wants to relate to you. Like He, he cares about you. you know, he, he knows what you woke up this morning dealing with. He knows you intimately. He knows what you've gone through, and he knows the best way to love on you. And so he wants to do that. In this situation, the best way to love on his audience is through the use of parables. That's why he uses a parable. It'd be like today, if, if Jesus wanted to relate to teenagers, he'd be on TikTok. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, like he'd probably be taking selfies with like silly filters, like the puppy dog one. You guys know what I'm talking about? It gives you ears. They're like really, yeah. Like teenagers. Jesus cares about you. He wants to relate to you. He wants to make it personal. And if he were here today and he had the social media, he'd have TikTok. He definitely would. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into the parable then. Let's break it down. We're going to read it again. We're going to dissect it verse by verse. So let's look at verse 24. And the first person referred to is in the NIV in 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm genuinely asking. Who do we think the man, the farmer, in this parable is? It's not a trick question. It's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the man is, is, is God. The man in this parable, the farmer, is Jesus. Certainly some type of divine figure. Now, in verse 25... There's another person identified. 25, what does it say there? But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So who do we think the enemy is? That's right. Okay, yeah. So we're tracking now. Yeah. So, yeah, Satan. I mean, the devil. Literally, the accuser in the Hebrew. The accuser is what his name is. The enemy. There's two things that God wants you to know right off the bat from these two, okay? Number one, what we see here, God is the owner of the field. He owns the field. The farmer is the one who owns that property. But for one night, count it, how many? One night, the enemy has trespassed onto his property to do something. 
when we look around at the world and we see that a state that it's in today with turmoil, we need to know that God still owns the world. He's got the whole world in his hands, y'all. Amen. There's wars and there's famines. There's hurricanes. There's tragedies. There's, there's rumors of wars. There's all these things that occur in the world today. And it can cause us to think that the world is in turmoil and it's not going to have anybody to come and rescue it. But what we need to remember is that God's providence, his caregiving, is stronger than the enemy's destructiveness. And those things are there because the enemy came and sowed bad seed into the field. It wasn't God who did that. So when financial troubles come, when health concerns arise, when you're suffering from depression, or, or if, you, if you struggle with crippling anxiety, if the future just fills you with dread, just know God's the owner of the field. He's watching out for you. He's watching out for his world, for his, for his farm. Now, I want to do this right now. I want to just tear down a lie sometimes the church buys into, and I want to replace it with the truth. You ready for this? Sometimes we believe as Christians that since we have accepted Christ, we've received the Holy Spirit, and now we're living this life of repentance. Now, we won't struggle anymore. <laughs> Maybe that's not a problem you guys struggle with. Maybe you guys will, no, we, we definitely believe we're still going to struggle. <laughs> that's good because look sometimes a naive christian would think okay now i've received christ things are going to be better now like there's this hope there's a future god has promised a lot of good things but what god has promised is not always what people think people think that god might take them around all the storms in this life but what god promises to do in scripture is he just promises to bring you through the storms you're still going to encounter storms as a Christian, you will still suffer, but the key is you never have to suffer alone. Amen? Be encouraged. You never have to suffer alone. Number two, God only plants good seed. That's what we see here. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So in the parable, both the farmer, God, and, and the, the, the enemy, his, like the devil, they're doing the exact same thing. You notice that? I thought that was really interesting. They're both planting. They're doing the same work, but for a different purpose. The farmer wants to produce a crop. Now, what, what does a crop do? It, it gives nourishment to a body. Crops are, are good for you. They, they have calories. They have nutrients. Like, there's, there's things in a crop, whatever the crop is, that's going to benefit somebody. And the, the enemy came and sowed weeds in the field. Weeds serve no point. There's no purpose to it. You can't eat a weed and feel, man, that was great. I love, those. I, I love that. That was just wonderful. What God's wanting to do, because he only plants good seed, is to give nourishment to the body of Christ. As the church, we are the body of Christ. Are we aware of that? Yeah. God wants to give nourishment to us so that we can live sustained, healthy lives. He's interested in the church's health. That's what he's wanting to do. He sows good seed. God works for the, go for the good of those who love him. That's Romans 8.28. You guys are going to know this next scripture. Jeremiah 29.11. You've probably heard this. You might be able to just rattle it off. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You guys know this? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Wow. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that the owner of the property and the trespasser on the property don't have an equal share of time to sow into the property. Right? The enemy had one night. One. The enemy has, I'm sorry, the Lord has an eternity to rectify the harm that the enemy has sown into the world. And he will take care of his farm. He's looking out for you. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. If you love the Lord today, he's working for your good. He promises that. Romans 8.28 The enemy wants to deceive you and turn you against God. He hijacked an opportunity for himself. And he's trying to convince you that the world is, is this place where God's lost control. But we know that God is the owner of the field and that he only plants good seed. Amen? Verse 27. Moving right along. The owner's servants came to him. You see that in 27? Sir, they asked such a good question. Didn't you sow good seed in your field? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Sometimes we ask God, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Next question, where then did the weeds come from? In the parable, so look, there's servants here now. Who do we think the servants represent? Servants represent the angels of God. What was that, Kayla? Oh, us. You know what? We are God's servants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Um, they're confused. The angels are. The servants of God. They're confused because they know that the Lord is eternal. He's sovereign. The Lord is good. But here they're demonstrating behavior that's very similar, Kayla, to us humans. We relate to these angels in a very similar way in the parable. You know what the angels want to do? They want to fix the problem. Look, 28, an enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? That's a great solution. What, what are you talking about? Pull them up. We know how to pull up weeds. No, 29, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Now, there's two more things God wants you to know today. Number one, we're really getting into the meat here. It's not our job to fix the problem. It's not our job to fix everything. Jesus is acknowledging in this parable that we have a natural desire to want to sort out the things that have been reserved for God to sort out. We have a tendency to want to take matters into our own hands. That's what happened in the, in the Garden of Eden. We understand that. Like We just decided self-autonomy, making our own choices. Deciding our own fate, our own future. That's what got us into original sin in the first place. So we want to fix things. We, over and off, we, we often overestimate our ability to, to do this. And I, I want to give you an example. Men, if, there, if there's a situation and your wife or your sister or your, your mom, your daughter, I don't know, she comes to you, men, and she's sitting down with you and she's telling you about how you feel, Maybe something happened at work, 
or like at school. She's telling you about the problem. What's your first instinct, men? <laughs> a, a woman answered. She knew. <laughs> yeah, to, to fix the problem, give advice. Here we go. All right, I'm listening now, babe. What, what's going on? Okay, what's the problem? Mm -hmm. All right, I'm analyzing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, let me figure out. Oh, yeah, okay. I got it. Here's the solution. Listen to me now. No. Guys, a lot of times, she just wants you to sit with her. She just wants you to, like, listen. Just hear her out. She's not wanting you to fix everything. You know, a lot of times in life, we try, we get caught up in, like, fixing things. But what she's wanting is for you to just hear her. She just wants for you to sit her, maybe in her heartbreak, not to just offer solutions. I think sometimes when, when we go to God in prayer, it's great to intercede for people. There's lots of problems in the world, and we need to pray in ways where we're highlighting those problems and we're bringing it to God and we're surrendering it and saying, Lord, I, there's this right here in the, the prayer lists. There's all sorts of things. There's prayer concerns. And we bring those to God, and it's problem after problem after problem after problem. But God, sometimes he just wants to sit with us. You know, he, he, he can fix everything, and someday he's going to. But in the meantime, we can't just allow our relationship with God to become one-dimensional, where we're just bringing our problems to him. Like, that intimacy with him, that intimacy between like a, a, a husband and a wife, that's what God's looking for. He wants to love on you in the same way that like a, in a marriage, a spouse would love on the, on the other spouse. That's what he wants to do. He wants that intimacy with you. He doesn't want to just you know, fix all your problems. He really genuinely just wants to sit with you, sometimes in your heartache. Yeah. So parents, I imagine it's the same way with kids. Uh, my wife and I have zero intentions of having children. That's just not us. But maybe one of these days, I don't know. No, she's, she's shaking her head vigorously, no. <laughs> 30, yeah. Same year Jesus started his ministry. <laughs> um, so it's okay. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? It's not a bad thing to be, like, helpful and proactive. I'm saying here the point is we don't, our job's not to fix everything. But we should still try to be helpful. We should still try to help our fellow man, you know? But here's, here's, here's something I've seen before. I'm curious if you guys have ever seen this. What happens? Somebody who's like a rascal. You guys know what I'm talking about with a rascal? Somebody who looks a whole lot more like a bad seed than a good seed. Somebody who doesn't make the best choices in life. They decide that they want to come to church and find God. And we, who've been in the institution of church for a long time, see them come into church living a life that's not glorifying the Father. And what we do is we try to force them into a mold that they're not ready to fit into. What I need to tell you today is it's not our job to fix everything. We're very good at recognizing what's wrong in other people, like pointing out things contrary to the Spirit, and that's very important. We should do that. But we need to remember that God is the purifier of people's hearts, not us. Amen? You can try as hard as you want your whole life. 
You can't purify another person's heart. Holy Spirit can. That's his job. But it's not our job to fix everything that we think is wrong with a brother or sister in Christ. This parable is talking about people who have received the word of God, but who are not living the word of God. Jesus is warning the crowd from attempting to purify a society of believers through simply external methods. Okay? It's really tempting. I know. I Trust me, I know. It's really tempting to want to go in and just like pull up all the weeds, all the people who look more like bad seeds than good seeds, just pluck them all out. That's not our job. We do have a job, though. It's very important because if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, Pastor Tyler, what, are we supposed to just ignore sin? Just pretend like it's not going on? Just allow them to live in, in like untruth? We have a job. It's very important. It's very simple, actually, too. If you ever just thought to yourself, what's my purpose in life? Here's your job. Love people up to the standard of holiness that God desires for them. That's it. That's the whole job, guys. I, I mean, if, I don't, if, if you don't hear anything else I say the rest of the day or up until this point, remember that. Our job is to just love people up to the standard of holiness that God desires for them. It's not our place to condemn them. When the day comes and that rascal feels the weight of their sin, we should be prepared in that moment to bring correction, but with love and with patience, not with frustration or, or from a place of hurt. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction. Not us, and that's straight from Scripture. That's John 16, 8. The Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of its sin, not ours. And the Holy Spirit loves his job. So the institution of the church should remain pure, yes. But we're not God's purifiers. We can't purify a heart. Our decisions and words come from a place of love. It's not our job to fix everything. It's God's job to redeem a person's spirit. Number two. God's timing is perfect. We're going to finish the parable now. Look at verse 28 in the very middle. The servants asked him. A really good question, actually. In the middle of 28, servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? you want us to pull up the weeds? 29, No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So God's timing is perfect. Number two. See, the farmer told his servants, not yet. Don't pull the weeds. It's too dangerous. God knows that the field, the world that we live in, needs time before it's safe to pull the weeds. Like, just think about it right now. If you envision yourself walking through a, a field that's just been freshly tilled and planted with with wheat. But then the night before, someone's come and they've planted weeds there too. And now you're tasked with just pulling up all the weeds, but not a single sprout of wheat. Are you sure you're going to know which are wheat and which are weeds? And are you sure you're not going to trample accidentally any of the little vegetation on the ground? Like those, those things are fragile. They've just been planted. Be careful now. I don't know. I don't think we'd be able to do it with 100% accuracy. I think the Lord knew the angels wouldn't be able to do it with 100% accuracy. 
I want to tell you a story now. When I was, so I got married like 13 months ago, just over a year now. And before that, I got engaged to my beautiful wife in the spring. And we were going to uh, take engagement pictures. We hired a photographer. And then we actually decided to take our engagement pictures at a couple different locations. One of them was at a cemetery in, in Princeton. It's like uh, Maple Hill. It's like a Catholic cemetery. And there's, there's like everything else in Indiana. There's fields. There's crops and stuff around that area. So the photographer, she's like, oh, Tyler, go sit over there underneath that tree. So, okay, so, yeah. Sit right next to her. Now take your hand, put it on her shoulder. Now, now turn towards me. Great. You guys look so good with that field of grass behind you. And my wife, she's sitting right next to me. She turns and she whispers in my ear, she doesn't even know that's a field of wheat. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't even know that's wheat. City slicker. Yeah. Because she was from Evansville. You know, this... This photographer, I had no idea that <laughs> that was that's wheat behind me. I thought in my mind, I was like, baby, wheat's brown, that's green. It was winter wheat. It just hadn't actually, like, it hadn't ripened yet. It just looked like a beautiful, luscious field of grass behind me. It was like, you look great with that field of grass. Yeah, we do. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> She's like, she doesn't even know it's wheat. Oh, yeah. Like, that's how I know my wife's a Hoosier. I was raised in Texas. But she knows. She can, I mean, on the way here this morning, there was, we were passing by, like, some corn fields. And she's like, they need, to, they need to harvest that corn. They need to get a combine out here. You're supposed to do that in September. <laughs> the point is, if you don't know what you're looking at, it's really hard to distinguish one thing from the other. I thought that was a field of grass behind me. So did the photographer. If the angels, if the workers in the parable, if they pluck the weeds now when they wanted to, they, they may trample the wheat. Or worse, they may like mistake a little sprout of, of wheat for a weed. They might not pluck all the, they might leave some weeds. They might miss, oh, that one's a wheat, but it's actually a weed. Or that one's, that one's a weed, and they pluck the wheat. Like, they don't, they might get the two mixed up. You guys ever bought, like, maybe a, a knockoff, like a, like a fake watch or a purse or something like that? It wasn't the real thing. I lived in Uganda for four months as a volunteer for a nonprofit, and I was living in Uganda. Four months, it's really dirty there, lots of dusty roads. I brought one pair of shoes. It was a terrible mistake because they were filthy and they were just getting really old. I needed a new pair of shoes. So I remember I went to a market and they had, like, these little can, like, it was a big city. They had these canvas tents set up. There's just random stuff. And you can go in there and just bargain with people. Okay? I found this sweet pair of blue Converse shoes. They were great. They were so good, man. They were great. <laughs> the Chuck Taylor on the side that checked out, like the logo, I'm looking at them. They, they look great. And I bought this pair of shoes for a sweet deal, like, like five American dollars. I was like, man, Uganda's so great. Everything's so cheap here. And so I take the shoes, and I, I go to a different village, and like a week later, I'm not kidding you, the Chuck Taylor logo on the side of the Converse just fall off. I'm tying my shoes one day, and the shoelace literally ripped through the fabric. I've never even seen that before. Like, what I did is I bought something that was fake. If you don't know the difference, it's really hard to identify false 
from true. That's important here because, like, the shoes that I bought taught me how hard it is to identify the real thing. And in this parable, to identify the real thing, that's a responsibility that belongs to God, not angels, not us. We don't have the ability to see if it's real, if it's real or fake. Now, if, if you guys, you've heard maybe once, I, when I preach, I really like to go into like the original Hebrew or the Greek. It's just the best way to interpret the scriptures without you know, getting something mixed up or just like applying what I believe to already be true to the scriptures. I want to extract the original meaning of the text. So I looked up uh, through this entire parable. I wanted to look at some key Greek words, and what I found was really interesting. The Greek word used by Jesus here, translated in English as weeds, all throughout this parable, every time you read it, every single time you see the word weed, what that's actually, that's known in the Middle East as a darnel. The literal word in its Greek is dizanion. Now, a dizanion sounds like a Pokemon. Definitely, man. It sounds like an elephant, like maybe like an electric-type Pokemon. Totally. It's not a Pokemon. I did a lot of research this week. It's actually a plant. I'm going to read this here. It grows in Palestine, which resembles wheat in virtually every way. Listen to this. But Dizanion is completely worthless. Dizanion looks identical to wheat until it's fully grown. When it's finished growing, you can tell it apart because the grains on Dizanion are black. Listen to this. God is not going to harvest the field until he gives everyone a chance to prove that they are wheat or they are Dizanion. Someday, we're going to be fully grown. God's timing is perfect. Amen? We're identified by the fruit that we produce. That was the children's sermon, basically. Like, producing fruit. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit in, in Sunday school class today. I need to ask you, are you producing grain that is golden brown? Or are your grains black and worthless? Because God only plants good seed. Now, earlier, I remember I told you, like, they asked a good question. Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? There's a trap that we can fall into as Christians. I know I was there one day. Before I really loved God the way I do today, I used to question his goodness. I used to question, Lord, how... Where then did the weeds come from? God, why is there so much bad in the world if you're so good like all the people at church say? If we're not careful, we're going to assign every bad thing to him. Because, like I said earlier, he is the owner of the field. He owns the property. So he owns the weeds too, right? He's got to take ownership of the weeds. If we're not careful, we're accusing God of being unresponsive or indifferent to suffering when actually... God allows suffering as an act of mercy because God's timing is perfect. Now, that might seem confusing right now, but trust me. When God waits until the proper time to separate the wheat from the weeds, he's performing an act of mercy for those who really are wheat. They just resemble weeds right now. We must have, as humans, the freedom of choice to decide to do good or to do evil. Because robots can't love God. They don't have a choice in the matter. They're programmed to do a certain thing. We're not programmed 
we have the choice to respond to him or to reject him. And God must give us that freedom of choice. He must also give us time. When he allows suffering, he's allowing time for people who actually are wheat to repent. I'm so thankful that the Lord didn't uproot me the first time that I behaved like a weed. Amen? Kayla, aren't you glad that God didn't separate the wheat from the weeds 10 years ago? Yeah, that's right. I mean, God's timing is perfect. He's showing mercy by giving people time to come into repentance. That person who's hurting you, who's sinning against you, the reason for your suffering might be because God knows that person will come into repentance. Ultimately, someday, he was patient with you. He's going to be patient with them, too. God's patience and mercy keep the field from being overrun by workers who would otherwise trample or accidentally uproot the good seed. So when you see bad things in the world, that's only because the enemy planted it there. God is the owner of the field. He doesn't own the weeds. He didn't plant that. He only plants good seed. But because of God's mercy, he will not endanger us by removing the weeds until it's time for the harvest. God's waiting to ensure that no people who will come into repentance will be mistaken as people who belong to the enemy. He's patient. His patience sometimes is labeled, mislabeled as negligence. What God's doing must prove that he's not a good God because he's allowing for all this evil when really he's waiting for the perfect time. His timing is perfect. And God's already promised he's working for the good of all those who love him. It's like when you're going through that storm, when you're suffering, God's faithful to bring you through it. He didn't take you around it. He's just going to bring you through it. Amen? Yeah. Um, I want to close, but I want to read first Matthew 16, verse 24 through 27, because it kind of applies to the, well, it doesn't kind of, it def definitely directly applies to the very end of this parable. Matthew 16, 24. In Matthew 16, verse 24 through 27, Jesus says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. There is a harvest. Trust me, there's a harvest coming. We should not be afraid of the day of harvest. We're identified by our fruit. I need you to know today that like, if you feel like you've lived your whole life and all you've ever managed to be able to do is just produce the Xanion black, worthless seeds at the end, grains at the end of, of your stalk. If you feel like you don't produce the fruit of the Spirit, no matter how hard you try, I need you to know today, 
You don't get to say who you are. You don't get to say if you're a weed or a wheat. The Lord, he tells you who you are. Your identity is not wrapped up in how you think your weeds or how, how you think your uh, fruits, your grains look like. That's not your identity. Like if I, if I, man, I struggled with, with gossip at work again this week. I just, when I'm in that crowd of people, I just can't help. I just, I laugh. I make fun of the same person. I slander people when they're not around. Like I went to that website again. I just can't believe, why do I always do this when I'm home alone? Or I, mean, I just, I, I hung out with the wrong friends. I got, I got tipsy over the weekend. Whatever it is, your fruit that you produce, if we're not careful, we're going to allow that to define us when God says you're a chosen son or daughter. And his identity in you, Christ in you, that's what defines who you are. Our identity is wrapped up in him. So don't be afraid of, of the day of harvest, the day of judgment. Just allow the Holy Spirit to come and produce that fruit. If you need gentleness, let him come and work. Don't just muster up all the gentleness that you can. If you need forbearance, if you need self-control, allow God to be self-control for you. Like Resist the enemy and he will flee. So I don't want this to ever feel like it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a message of condemnation. If you're not producing good fruit, you must be a weed. And therefore, on the day of judgment, on the day of harvest, you're going to be, what, what does it say? Tied them in bundles to be burned. The Lord says, you are his child. He's faithful to you. And so you should be faithful to him. Amen? Um, I'll go ahead and invite the worship team up. I just need you to know that you can trust God. He's the owner of the field, and he's the one who plants good seeds. I'm going to pray. They're going to uh, lead another song, and then I'll come back up. I'm going to be back there. If anybody wants to, to discuss anything with me, if you feel convicted, not by like what Pastor Tyler said, but by what God's word says, you can find me. I'll pray over you. This is your time. There's freedom in this place. Allow God to minister however you see or however He sees fit. Lord, we come to you and we just ask, Lord, that you would do a work here today, um, that you would sow good seed into us, into our hearts today, Lord. I just pray that we would allow you freedom to come into um, into us, and we just give over our hearts to you. Um, we surrender our agendas. Lord, what, however, whatever our plans are, we surrender our pride over to you. Um, if, if we feel like we just can't um, work up the courage or we, we're afraid of what other people would think, we surrender that pride to you, Lord. We just surrender our self-control over to you. We give to you everything, Lord, because you gave all for us. And so we just, play, uh, we just, we just pray that you would come and you'd send your spirit to minister to us today. Come and bring... Uh, Holy conviction, not guilt, but holy conviction, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.